Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. This Saturday is the first Saturday in May. If I'm looking at, if I'm reading my my calendar correctly here, it is the first Saturday in May, which means there is a massively important horse race going off. Uh, And uh, yeah, we've been making this joke uh, as the Masters came and went, as March Madness came and went. uh, And granted, this is not Kentucky Derby weekend, um, but that does not change the fact that there are some unbelievable horse races going off this weekend in Oaklawn, down in Arkansas, uh, most notably the two-division Arkansas Derby. Uh, So we are going to do another horse racing podcast where we cover the biggest races of the weekend and uh, talk a little bit about the state of horse racing with a absolute bona fide certified expert uh first ever guest on the deep dive um member of the racing dudes yes sir welcome to, yes. welcome to the deep dive mr mike somich thank you very much excited to, to be on here and talk a little bit about horse racing and hopefully get uh, get some more people excited about the sport it's been a, a blast the last couple of weeks with uh, us being the only game in town to to get to see the handles go up and get some huge payouts and now we have hey it's not the right race on the first weekend in may but we'll take any race right now <laughs> dude mike you i'm sure people it's, told it's not you like before. we're canceling the derby you know eventually Push it back <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and Mike, I'm, I'm sure people have told you this before, but my goodness, you have a voice for radio. That is a that is that is one hell of a radio voice if I've ever heard it. Um, and uh, I guess just so people kind of kind of get a little bit of background. Can you talk about uh, the racing dudes as far as how it, you know what it is as a project and um, you know what you guys do over there? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's a really cool website, man. I, I got involved about two years ago. Um, Aaron and Jared are the two founders. They're the two original dudes. They got into horse racing, I don't know, probably 2012, 2013 range. And their idea is just, there's not a lot of younger people into the game that are trying to really get the word out and spread it out among, around our age group. And so they started building out a podcast and working on this site. Um, really cool product. They give out free picks for every track every single day. So if you want to go out and just hang out at the horse track or you want to bet it online, you need a free pick. They're, they provide it there. Uh, we've got premium products as well. So if you do want to have, you know, get all my picks for the weekend, there's a product called Samo Bombs there. If you want to look at uh, one of our expert handicappers, we've got day passes where you can get every single track. Uh, and then we do podcasts, things like that. So there's the Magic Mike show. That's me and my co-host Magic <laughs> could do that. We got to pick four every week. And uh, it, we're all about educating people and kind of talking through the past performances and how we get to horses, how we find horses. And then we got a bunch of replays and articles on the on the website. So if you want to go somewhere for news that you're not going to get blasted by ads, that you want to be able to watch replays, so that's one of the most difficult things in our sport for some reason is actually have stakes replays uh so we've got recaps of every single stakes race over a hundred thousand dollars with the replays on there and it's just a great place to go for information and uh try to have fun with it man I and mean, that's the main thing it's, it's entertainment it's gambling you might as well enjoy it even if uh you're paying for the entertainment so you might as well get the most out of it oh yeah we, that is uh, well said we said that off the air a little you know we we love horses we love horse racing but you know, it's not our main focus. We're big race guys that, you know, Breeders' Cup, maybe even the Florida Derby a little bit, the, the, the big three races in the spring, the Breeders' Cup, a little bit of this, a little bit of that if we get bored. But I, I will say uh, I don't listen to, like, horse podcasts all the time. But when it comes to, like, oh, shit, it's Derby time, i got to figure out, like, all this research. I, I have listened to, to, what is it, the Magic Mike? The Magic that, Mike show, yeah. I, I know big, it has, like, a mi- mildly – 
like the the picture on the front is like mildly upsetting. You know, cartoons, at least. You know, you got both yeah. of us shirtless, but I'm holding a racing form. So there's something blocking yeah, it, right? Yeah, so, for sure. So okay, for sure. yeah. The horse so in the middle is naked. I will say that for sure. I yeah, for sure. I nailed it's the right podcast then because yeah, that that yeah. is one of the ones I'll uh, I'll listen to when I am doing some prep. You guys yeah. do a good job over there. There's good info, and some yeah. of those I I like I like it uh, when you can kind of talk without sounding like you're speaking a different language. I've yes, listened great some, point. I've listened to some horse stuff. It's like, man, this is just so far over my head. I'm fucking lost. It's not great. So thanks for helping me. Uh, I don't know if I've actually won that much money in horse racing. Thanks for helping <laughs> me not lose more, I guess. As, well, hopefully uh, we can change that this weekend, right? Yeah. Now oh, we're yeah no, nothing else to do this weekend. <clears throat> yeah, we, we got we, big races. We have a blast with that podcast, man. We, we have so much fun. Magic and I met each other about two years ago. We'd never met each other. He was starting his own podcast, and uh, he's like, hey, you want to be my first guest? And I was like, sure. And the chemistry just clicked, man. We, we went back and forth. And, and the whole goal is to educate people and get them interested in horse racing. I mean, I, I love this sport. I started betting horses. I went to the track for the first time when I was three months old. My dad took me to the racetrack. And I've been like, that. our entire relationship was built about going to the racetrack. So I was up in Saratoga every single August, year after year after year, and started taking it seriously about three years ago. And it's it's been a blast, man. It's been absolutely awesome. And even when I was living in LA, I'd be dragging groups of 10, 20 friends out to the racetrack, out to Santa Anita. And they got beer tasting <laughs> in the infield and concerts and things like that. So, you know, I got to yes. really get them there. But then you got to be able to explain it to them in layman's terms. And so, you know, you got to make sure you get, uh, get people engaged in it. And, Get exciting. Hopefully, win a couple blocks. Oh well, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. I've been a big fan of this. And speaking of, you know, kind of the uh, the youth movement now that is uh, surging into the racing space, uh, it has felt like um, the fact that there's no other sports really at all to bet on right now. That this is the absolute, um, uh, you know, beyond just the fact that watching horse racing is fun anyway. Beyond the fact that betting on horse racing is fun anyway, it has felt like this has been a little bit of a resurgence uh, that we have seen this spring, given that there's racing every day. It's been fantastic. Uh, you know, quality uh, has been good. Uh, there's, you know, it's just, it's been an exciting experience. Do you think that overall this, um, this quarantine we've been going through has been a little bit of a lifeline to a, an industry that was uh, stumbling a little bit? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, you can look at the handles at these different racetracks and they're going through the roof and you're getting consolidation of wagering at these different tracks. It's really the only game in town. If you want to be, be betting anything right now, it's it's really horse racing that you got to go to. And it's it, it's interesting because you, people talk about why are these tracks not closed? Well, the, 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 the honest answer is you're going to need 80 to 90 percent of the people to take care of these horses on the backstretch anyway. So you're not preventing any groups gathering or anything that by running the races. All you're doing is helping the horses stay healthy because they get to continue to exercise and run, keeping the livelihood of the backstretch workers in place, and and then giving some type of normalcy back to the people. I mean, for me, if I didn't have horse racing right now, it'd be crazy. I, I love to bet sports. I love to watch sports. I'm a huge hockey fan. I'm a huge basketball fan. It's a bummer right now. Yeah. So to be able to have something to lean on is is absolutely wonderful. And, we, you know, we were talking about this before we jumped on here. It's been crazy to see just all the sports bettors gravitating toward horse racing. Racing, um, you're seeing these pools that are just absolutely unprecedented. I mean, we have a, a pick five, which means you have to pick five straight winners in five races today, going off at Fawner Park, which, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> is in Nebraska. <laughs> um, and the, the last race of the day is a two thousand five hundred dollar claimer, and there's going to be millions of dollars riding on that race, where you could buy one of the horses for twenty five hundred bucks. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's pretty crazy how it's how it's kind of built out, and you have these massive, massive purses going. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited for this Saturday. You're going to yeah. see monster. You're going to see multiple million dollar purses in the pick fours <clears> and pick fives, which is what my specialty is. It's betting multi race wagers and trying to uh, string together these long shot winners to get a massive payout. 
you know, we talked about Tampa even. You can get some monster payouts playing tries and, and, and whatnot. So it's just a great time for horse racing. And, and hopefully, hopefully, people enjoy the experience and end up wanting to come back when there are other sports back. And, and don't like I, 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 most people who are horse racing people are big race people just like yourselves. Hopefully, we can get a couple more people who are day to day and want to go out to the track on a weekend and want to throw a couple bucks our way to, to kind of support the sport and and then just enjoy it in two minutes. It's a it's a great thing to do. I love I've, it. I've talked about that a couple times. Probably when we do get into some of you know we've done derby podcasts, but yeah, go once things open back up. And I know like not every track not every track is open. That's an understatement. There are a ton of tracks that are closed right now, but when they do open. Yeah, it, it is a lot of fun. Go support your local track. A lot of them do fun stuff. I know Canterbury up here in Minnesota, they have fun events all the time. Every Sunday at Canterbury's Family Day, which is a really easy way to talk your wife into going there with the kids. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have, like, free pony rides and face painting and a jumping castle and stuff, and I'm I'm playing with the kids and then bouncing, <laughs> off, to the, bouncing off to the machine quick to make boom, the mats. Boom, boom, boom. And, the, and the kids love the horses, too. So, yeah, go support your local tracks once they're open. I don't <clears> think – so, like, Mike, there's – of the tracks that are open, there's not a single one that is allowing spectators right now, Correct. No, no, we're, uh, no racetrack can allow spectators at this point. Um, we've got probably about eight of them that are running right now um, mm-hmm. across the country. Today was great news. Churchill Downs is opening back up on May 11th, so they're going to start racing without uh, without fans. The Naira, which is the New York Racing Association, has announced that Saratoga will be running with or without fans uh, starting Ooh, in July. Nice. So, so, like, we're starting to see some normalcy come back in it. And like I said it is safer and better for the horses to be running right now than it is to be sitting in these stalls and not being able to get to really run the race and, and kind of stretch their legs and, and get working. So uh, from a horse racing perspective, it's better to be for us to be running. And it's, it's great to have some of these tracks starting to come back. And, you know, like you said, Andrew, go support your racetrack when this actually is all over. It is wonderful what some of these tracks do. I mean, my wife and I were driving cross country. We, we stopped in Remington Park and Oklahoma City and have an absolute blast. It's a wonderful track. I've been to Canterbury before. She's from Minnesota and they have corgi races like twice a week there. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of fun stuff going on at these racetracks and it's not all yeah. about the gambling. Like, yeah. I'm there oh, for yeah. gambling, like you but it's not about all about the, the gambling. <laughs> yeah, you brought up like the craft beer tasting. They do all kinds of events like that and, you know, the, bring the food trucks in. That's a lot of fun. Is there is there anything local over that way? You're over in the Carolinas? Closest one to me is Laurel Park up in uh, up in Baltimore. So you got Laurel and you got Pimlico, which are two of the ones that the yeah. is at Pimlico and you got Laurel. They're both in the Baltimore area. If you head south, uh, it, it's Gulfstream Park uh, down in Florida. Hmm. All good, all good checks. Um, do you think? Uh, I'm sure you caught this news. Bob Baffert uh, threatening to effectively move his operation out of California. Do you think that puts a little bit of pressure on Santa Anita to reopen? I. I they need to have pressure on the reopen. That's 1,700 jobs and over, I think it's like $248 million in, in state revenue it's, year over year. It's, it's a lot big, of money. Man. It's a lot of jobs. I don't think people fully realize how big the horse racing industry is and the fact that this these horses need to be taken care of by multiple people every single day. Um, so trying to find what those people are going to do if you take that away. And honestly, they've already really hurt the, the California racing scene just with what's happened already. You already have trainers like Doug O'Neill, like Richard Baltus uh, that are already at Oakland Park and they're going to keep some of their strings and some of their better horses in the stakes races where they know they're going to run, which right now is on the sure. East Coast, not the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's spooky. Um, 
going a little bit back to uh, some of your racing uh, handicapping philosophy, uh, you said something pretty interesting, which I think is kind of worth reiterating for those people who are listening who are like, man, I'm going to get into this. I'm going to dabble this weekend. Now, there's no NFL draft to bet on, guys. It's over. There's no. Uh, it's there's over. No, it's done. <laughs> yeah, it's over, guys. It's over. Um, and don't just immediately roll all of those winnings into uh, futures. Just hang on to them for a little while, by all means. Put, roll them into Bitcoin. That seems like a better uh, strategy at this point. Myself, uh, <laughs> Although you're a, yeah, you're, look, you're a day Listen later. to this podcast four <laughs> days ago. <laughs> got to date it here. Um, we'll pretend like we recorded this on, uh, on Tuesday. Um, anyway, uh, um, the, uh, the philosophy you mentioned of, uh, playing for the play for playing, playing for, uh, for a longer shot, uh, is awesome. Like a lot of people, I feel like come into horse racing from a sports betting background and they, you know, they have a little, they struggle a little bit with the idea of, Hey, I can make nine bets today and I might like, lose eight of them. Right. Like it's not as the same as, you know, Hey, like I just need a winner here. I need a winner. Like give me a winner. Like there's a very specific strategy to, uh, to trying to find higher liquidity pools, try to find, um, you know, opportunities to, you know, and diversify your strategy so that you're playing uh, a bigger, um, you know, a bigger wilder series of events and get a bigger payday. Can you talk a little bit about what you think is, or at least your strategy that you bring to the racing game? Yeah, for sure. So I, my background, you know, I, I, my dad used to play games with me when I was a kid. That's how I started kind of getting into game theory. Uh, I dropped out of college to play poker, um, and I was a tournament poker player for a long time. If you play tournament poker, you kind of learn you don't make money by consistently making the money. You make money by winning tournaments, by taking down big scores. I mean, so you have to be able to chase big numbers. And it's the same thing with horse racing. I mean, you know, in, in sports betting and I had, I had some fun with sports betting for a while. I became very good at Mountain West basketball for about two years. Um, <laughs> what you have to do yes. is sports, you're just trying to find a small edge in sports betting. You're trying to be 60 to 62% and, and can stay, stay right around that percentage. You're, you're amazing if you're around there. And then hope that you can get enough of a volume that you make a profit. In horse racing, I'm trying to hit 10% of my bets, maybe 15 and I want to make sure that they pay big time. I mean, yesterday I got home a, a pick five that cost me 50 cents as a base bet, $120 total bet, and I paid 13000 That's how you make wow. money in horse racing. You, you wow, find wow, ways wow. to really, really press your opinion and be able to create positive expected value situations with horses where other people aren't playing those same opinions. And so in my mind, the easiest way to do that is to try and string winners together race by race. So I'll play a, a pick four where you have to pick the winners of, let's say, race. Uh, we'll talk about Oakland the, on, on Saturday. Uh, there's a pick four starting race 11. Race 11, race 12, race 13, race 14. If you can pick all four winners of those races. You get a, a certain amount back. You split the pool with everyone who does that. Well, and two of those are going to be two of the Arkansas Derby divisions that we're going to dive into soon. And both of those feature a heavy favorite that's going to get overbet in every one of those pools. So if you mm -hmm. beat the two Bafferts, you're making money. So for me, I'm looking for sequences where I can beat favorites, where I can I can be uh, different than the public opinion and try and separate myself on those tickets so that I create big wins when I'm betting, you know, 120 bucks and trying to get those those you know five figure payouts back. I like it. I like it. I like that a lot. Yep. Yeah, I betting beating the favorites like it's. Uh... It's it's hard for me to get around that sometimes. I think when I'm betting some of these horses, when you especially when you get all the, I mean, just the hype. Anything you read, you pull up. You know, like we said, we did some we did some research heading into this. Any article you read, that's like pretty much the headline, or at least one of the one of the main points is like you know, Charlatan and Nadal, Baffert this, Baffert. You know, I think he's five five out of the last eight years. It says he's won or placed, and now he has two shots at it too. That's uh 
that's quite something. So that's something that I have troubles with. And I, I mean, I like your strategy. You can definitely, you know, you, you don't have to hit it all the time. You say, oh, well, maybe Nadal wins and I, I lose this bet. But it's one of those things where if you're, if you're betting a lot of horse races and you finally hit one of those, it doesn't matter if you lost the last 30 of them. Not at all. That's, that's the beauty of it. Favorites only win 33% of the time in horse racing. So one third of the time the favorite wins, and that's across the entire country, including a mass majority of races that may have five or six or seven horses. When you get a field of 14, that number changes very differently. And that's what we're going to face in some of these races on Saturday. So these larger fields, you have even a higher percentage chance that the horse might have trouble, might get boxed in, might not break. It's a bunch mm-hmm. of things that can go wrong that's completely irrelevant to the horse's ability that can make that favorite lose. And, and most people who are playing on one day who are going to come in are going to play the favorite because they don't think to how do I look past the favorite? And I love horse racing because it's a giant puzzle. You have all the different puzzle pieces right in front of you with these past performances. What has the horse done going two turns, going one turn? You know, who's the trainer? Who's the jockey? What's the percentage that they combine to win? You have all this information in front of you and your job is to, to essentially decode that information and come up with the most logical results that are illogical to the public betters. And if you're able to do that, that's how you can really differentiate yourself. Oof, this is good. Um, <laughs> before we get into... Before, yeah, because this folds so neatly into the way I think about sports betting. I just love hearing it. Um, Before we get into the race itself, though, can you tell me a little bit about why this is important, the the Arkansas Derby? Like, I I know they, they, this was, you know, this was moved on the calendar, right? It was supposed to be in mid-April. It was supposed to be in mid-April. This was a a build-up race to the Kentucky Derby. This was, you know, you, you gained points that got you into the Derby that helped you, you know, that helped facilitate a good draw, presumably, for the Derby, right? Um, and now they move it to Derby weekend to kind of fill the void. Uh, and they got so many entries because this is the last, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the last uh, race on the calendar where you can earn um, points that go toward con- um, qualifying for the Derby this September. Well, it, it's not this year. So it, it, this year's in kind of in flux. It's a little bit of a mess. Um, generally, you're going to have four different circuits that feed into the Kentucky Derby. You're going to have the West Coast, the Southeast, um, then the Louisiana-Arkansas circuit, and then the New, the New York circuit, or the, the Northeast. Um, and you have points races. So anywhere from, you know, a, a race could be uh, literally 1 point, 2 points, 5 points, 4 points, 10 points at the lowest level, all the way up to what the Arkansas Derby is, which is the highest level of what we call prep races, where the winner gets 100 points, second place gets 40, third gets 20, fourth gets 10. Generally, it takes about 20 to 25 points to qualify for a Kentucky Derby. So if you win one of the last prep races, which are 100-point prep races, if you win, run second, or usually third, you can make the Derby gate. The top 20 in points each year will then advance into the Kentucky Derby, this year's a little bit of a mess, uh, to be honest. We've had, you know, and they, they pushed this race back specifically because some of the other prep races canceled. So Keeneland often has a 100-point prep race. They ended up canceling their season. So it, it set up more points to be available. Santa Anita usually runs the Santa Anita Derby by now. That's now been pushed back. Um, so we're going to have the, the Oakland, uh, or we're going to have the Arkansas Derby run in two separate divisions, and each of those divisions will be worth 100 points each. So they're kind of taking some of the points from other places, putting them in here. And uh, one of the more frustrating things, they haven't really released a full plan yet on what they're going to do moving forward. But there's <laughs> yeah, going to be right. points races <laughs> all summer leading up to the Derby. So it's going to be oh, really, really unique to see, yeah, to see what's going to happen okay. here, what what stakes races they're going to insert at Churchill, at Saratoga, at Belmont, uh, down at Gulfstream, out at Santa Anita when it reopens. We're going to have these stakes races just popping up for points all throughout the year, which creates a really, you know, this is, I'm going to kind of geek out for a second, but it creates a really interesting horse racing strategy too, because trainers sure. like Todd Pletcher and Bob Baffert set up for the first Saturday in May. 
You want third off the layoff after two races, slowly building up stamina, stamina and talent to get you in this position to be ready to fire, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now we're looking in September. And often the best three-year-old yeah. in May is not the best three-year-old in September. Usually you have another horse who matures better over that time period. And you're going to have a different horse that will win the September Derby than it would win the May Derby. And, and that's the situation that we're going to find ourselves in here. So I'm really interested to see kind of how this all plays out and what happens in September when you have different horses maturing than the ones yeah. that you have right now. So I'm on, I'm on blood horse right now, the looking at the standings. So, you know, it, well, obviously at this point we'd know the field, like it's, it w- would be this weekend, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. so you're telling me like maybe it's, it's time to go scroll down this list into the thirties and forties and start looking and maybe start following some of those horses as you, you lead into a very, you know, unorthodox fall Kentucky Derby because some of these horses are going to have a lot of chances to get some points and move up into the 20. Well, I mean, I suppose you just got to end up in the top 20. I mean, look at, uh, look at justify, for instance, justify won the triple crown. Didn't race again. Maverick mm-hmm. set him up to win those three races and, and used him up. American Pharaoh wins the triple crown, comes back and loses the Travers. He was mm-hmm. set up to run this race. You have to set a horse up properly. I mean, if I was a betting man, I might've put down some money on a horse called Dr. Post at 80 to one to win the Kentucky Derby. Who has never who has zero Kentucky Derby points right now, but ran his second off a layoff and won his first stakes race at Gulfstream Park over the weekend. So I think you got horses from all different barns that can really mature later in the season. It's gonna be interesting to see what horses really kind of take steps forward as we go into September. Last year's a great ex- example. I mean, you had Maximum Security, you had Omaha Beach, who were the best three year olds in May. A horse named Spun to Run, who won a Breeders' Cup race against older horses, probably was the best three year old in September. So the Derby winner would have been different in that year. And so it's really interesting when you go through this. Arrogate, who's one of arguably the best horses ever, didn't even run in the Derby. But won the Travers and would have won the Derby if they ran that in September. It's going to be interesting to see what horses, how much this changes that's run up to it. Oh, I love it. Some of these younger, some of the younger three-year-olds, it'll be a little mature in the fall. Uh, You you kind of scared me a little when you were talking Keeneland. Is Breeders' Cup at Keeneland this fall? Yeah, Breeders' Cup. I mean, that's my question. Is it going to happen? Breeders' Cup will happen. Yeah, I would. Well, knock on wood. Assuming, assuming that the whole everything pans out the way that everyone's expecting it to at this point, they will run the Breeders' Cup. And, and Keeneland has a one of the shortest meets, so they, their meet actually ends before Churchill starts. So it would have already been over, and it was only a two and a half, yep. three week meet. So for them, it's it's kind of just a you know quick cup of coffee, and then you move on to Churchill. And so they decided to just postpone that, push it out and say, hey, we're not going to we're not going to run this meet before Churchill. We're not going to Churchill take those dates and then we're going to reopen Keeneland later for our, our fall meet. And hopefully we, we roll it right into the Breeders' Cup. Now, with or without mm-hmm. fans, that's when I, you know, your guess is as good as mine at that point. Who knows when this gets back to normal? You made me feel better there, though. You had me a little scared when you said Near Keeneland was closed down. Yeah. We're, we have no clue what's going to happen this fall, but I would guess it's okay. Yeah. Um, so here we move into the finale of the Oakland meet, right? Like this is the last weekend of racing uh, in Arkansas, correct? Yeah, uh, they go so far to call the last race on Saturday, Trails End. So it's a Trails, trails End stakes. <laughs> the, trails end, the Trails End stakes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, and uh, we got the um, – the two division Arkansas Derby, which again is a freaking, this is a novelty, right? Like I can't ever remember seeing or hearing like this before. Like you had, uh, cause you know, it, it, there at one point there were like 90 something horses that were in queue for this, right? They ended up, uh, with like 22 horses and we've had a couple of scratches. So we're looking at two 10 horse divisions now. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, 
uh, you have what you, what you call uh, the, the pre-entries, where you'll have just a plethora of horses that come in, and then you have the actual entries. And, and in this case, they said, hey, if we get more than 20, we'll run two divisions, full points, full money, and you just go at it, and we'll create a crazy racing day. So um, that's what they decided to do. And this is a, a, a true unique event. I can't remember another 100-point race ever being split into two separate divisions. But with everything going on, they had the horses to run it. So let's rock. Okay. And it's on the dirt. That's meaningful. It's all three-year-olds. That's meaningful. It's a mile and an eighth. So it's a little shorter than the Derby would be if they were running the Derby. Yep, um, that's correct. Any of that matter? All of it matters, man. <laughs> Everything matters in horse racing. Uh, so the, the distance is definitely one of those interesting things. A lot of these horses have not gone a mile and an eighth yet. Yeah, so understanding right. This is where you can get really deep. So the, the, what they call the breeding, the, the father and the mother horse, the sire and the, the, the dam, um, those horses, certain ones turn out horses who are better going longer, who are better going shorter. So you have sprinters and you have routers. Uh, this is a routing distance, a mile and an eighth. The Derby's at a mile and a quarter, so they're going to take another step forward from here. But if you look like Charlton, Charlotte, ah, Charlatan, uh, his two races so far have been six furlongs and a mile. He's never gone a mile and an eighth in his life. So one mm-hmm. of those questions is, going to be able to put up the same fractions early and then be able to stick around late when you got horses charging at him going this distance for the first time. Mm. I feel like that's especially relevant for Nadal, but we'll wait until to get to that race. But um, so the... Um, did you feel like they did a fair job splitting up this uh, these two divisions, and uh, and why did they give Charlottesville an easier field? <laughs> <laughs> That's loaded. Um, <laughs> so they by splitting divisions, if their trainer has two horses, they automatically get split. After that, they okay. draw. So there's okay. there's uh, you know obviously everyone wants to be a conspiracist, right, and, and say hey no, they, they totally set this up. Um, I actually think they're both pretty fair divisions, to be honest. Um, okay. and, and personally, I'm, I'm going to try and beat both of these horses. I, I think that they're most likely the, the most logical winner. But from a, a payout perspective, they're not horses that you're going to long term be able to crush with. So for me, they're, they're, they're play, chances to take swings against, especially like you said, everyone's reading the articles that these are the two horses to beat. And they are the horses to beat. But that's not necessarily where you want to put your money in horse racing. Sometimes you mm. want to find a find a good price. And, um, and there's some interesting horses that we can get into in that, in that first leg where you've got horses that are that are either doing, you know, whenever you're doing anything for the second time, there's logical improvement, right? So even if even if you shoot a free throw and you shoot a second free throw, you're more likely to make the second than the first because you've been staying there. You got, you know, it's just natural body ability. It's the same with horse racing. If a horse is, you know, taking a long layoff, runs a race, that second race off that layoff, they should logically take a step forward and improve off the first race. Um, same thing with first time going two turns, then second time going two turns. So you have these different angles of improvement that you can look for on certain horses that give you a logical reason to believe that they can t- take a step forward and you have certain concerns about some of the favorites here, which makes you logically think they could take a step backward. And so you're trying to find the combination of the ones taking a big enough step forward to catch up to the one taking a step backward in some of these divisions. I like it. Um, spe- you made me think of a specific question, though, because uh, you talked about the explosion of the money that's in these pools. Um, I'm guessing this is not informed money. This is people that <laughs> are betting for the first time. Now, yeah, I just right? loaded up <laughs> my TVG account, so you are correct. <laughs> what percentage of betting is informed money? We'll start there, right? And then we'll, yeah, we'll sure, that's backwards. a great question. I know, but I, think, I mean, I think I'll... I don't know. Maybe for these bigger, I feel like for these bigger pools, there's definitely some sharks in the water, right? Um, Yeah, there is sharks in the water, but it's, you know, there is a a massive luck factor that you have to take into account when you're looking at horse racing. Um, You know, sports betting, I think the luck factor is probably a little bit smaller, but horse racing, you literally have horses who decide not to run on a day. 
And you have to be able to work around that. I mean, there's certain situations where a horse might just not fire. Um, and there's certain situations where you have to be able to read between the lines and understand when a trainer is working up to a race and when a trainer is really trying to have this horse completely dialed in. Now, fortunately, we're, we're talking about stakes races here. Generally, they're pretty dialed in for these races. Um, but you're, you have to kind of handicap more than just the horse in a lot of cases. You have to handicap what the owner is thinking, what the trainer is thinking, what the jockey is thinking, and kind of work through all of that to be able to get to the right, the right uh, outcome at the end. Mm, okay. Well, let's go down the uh, let's go down the first of these races. So they split them up, right? Like uh, it looks like Division One is that race eleven, and Division Two is race thirteen, and then yeah. the Oakland handicap is the sandwich. Okay, back in the middle. Okay. Uh, so the Charlottetown race is Division One. Uh, we've said Charlottetown now a dozen times. That's a big deal because he's the Baffert horse. He is the Baffert horse in this one, and he is, uh, for lack of a better term, he absolutely freaked in both of his first two races. He looked like an absolute monster. No one could run with him. Um, we have a horse named Shooter Shoot, who's also in this first division, who he beat by five lengths, going six furlongs first time out. Um, and, and they have something called a buyer speed figure. Uh, and generally, 100 is a very, very, very good buyer speed figure for a three-year-old. Uh, this guy came out and ran 105 and 106, which are monster numbers in his first two races. If you look through the rest of this field, and this is why he is such a big favorite, no one else, none of the other 11 entries had ever run a 100-speed figure in their life. So someone needs to improve drastically, or there needs to be a pace scenario or a, a regression from Char- Charlton to, for him to lose. I got it, got it, got it. How about yeah, um, no, no offense, but he has no Kentucky Derby points, so. Correct. <laughs> this is his first uh, race. Yeah, it oh, looks like he, he okay. won his other race by even more. Yeah, he won his second race by 10. But one of the things you have to look at when you're looking at these is his first race only had four horses in it. His second one only had five. So how much did okay. he Right? Okay. I mean, he, he ran huge. Don't get me wrong. But he's never faced a field of more than four other horses. So mm. that immediately brings up the question of are we, you know, what, how, are we how sure he's good? He? Are we he, sure he's good? Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if, you're, if you're just running to run, and then you have someone like you have no pressure on you. You're going to be able to conserve energy more and then keep going for longer. If you're, you're being chased, you have to sprint all out to get away. You're going to slow down faster. And in this case, mm. he, he wasn't really being chased. There was no pressure. So he mm. was able to just go out there and gallop and have a good old time and not even be asked. He's never really felt what it's like to be in a competition because these fields were so small and he never had pressure. Mm, okay. Now, if this was the Kentucky Derby uh, and he draws the rail, I'm tossing him. Even though he's this high pedigree horse, no concern at uh, at Oakland being on the rail at a ten horse field. I don't love the rail form here. It gives him only one option. Um, he's got to go. He's got to go right to the lead, and, and he's got to do it fast. And if he breaks poorly, he's in trouble. So, I mean, that's that's one of the factors of why I do think he is beatable. I mean, again, most likely winner. Don't get me wrong, but sure. drawing drawing the one hole makes him beatable. Not going this distance a mile and eighth makes him beatable. Not having pressure before makes him beatable. We have no idea how much heart this horse has. What happens when someone else comes up to his throat latch? Is he going to kick away or is he going to, to fade? You don't know mm-hmm. yet. That kind of At raises least. a training question. like, And I think the answer is no, and I just don't know enough about horse training. But there's there's not a scenario you would ever put a horse in. Like, let's run him out there with, like, ten other horses just so he knows what that's like. Like, you don't do that. No, they'll, they'll run in twos. So they'll try and like one of the things you try and do is teach a horse to, to what you call rate, which essentially means sit a length or two lengths behind a speed horse and then pounce around the turn, right? Teach ah. them to catch the horse, right? Because horses are pack animals in general. So the ones that don't have, that have a pack mentality versus wanting to be a leader will generally just chase horses around and they're happy doing it. So you almost have to train them to learn to want to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big thing, especially at lower levels. You'll see some horses who just don't want to pass anybody. They just keep finishing second. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll often see them train in pairs. 
Um, but you, you will never see them train in, in groups of nine or 10 or anything like that. And generally they'll only go out of the gate as two horses. So this horse has sure. never been in a gate with five other horses at the most, um, which also is a concern in this type of spot. Based on the two races we've got on Charlatan, do we know what his uh, Brisner running style is? Uh, he's going to be a pace setter. So he's, uh, he's going right out of the gate and he's going to fire to the lead. I mean, it's, is, he's it, got, is, uh, is there an early speed horse in this field? So he's Thank got a one, 125 U.S. time for rating, which is how fast his first quarter is, right? Um, and this actually drew a pretty fast field, um, which is one of the reasons why I do think, again, he's beatable. Shooter Shoot, who we mentioned earlier, has a 127 early time form rating. So he's Ooh, he, might have been, he might have been scratched. Did he get, I thought I heard that. Oh, today. you're right. Shooter Shooter is, shooter, shoot is out. So that's going to help him out with, with the pace pressure. Uh, Nordo Oro has a 95 uh, early time form us pace setup so he's going to fire out and then basin on the outside has a 110 first t- early time form number so he's going to fire out and the, the problem is that the one and the 11 both have to go you don't have any choice you have to try and get to the best <laughs> position possible and they're both they're two of the most talented horses in the race so you have basin who's on the outside the 11 horse out of the asmussen barn uh who won the hopeful which is the most prestigious two-year-old race at saratoga last year while improving every single start he won that in the mud. He's a better horse over a fast dirt. We're going to get mm-hmm. fast dirt on Sunday. So you're going to see the best effort of this horse's career on Sunday or on Saturday. You're going to see the best effort of this horse's career on Saturday. And he's going to try and go right to the throat latch of Charlatan right out of the gate. And that, that could set it up for some horses who are going to be coming from a little bit off the pace. Oh, I love this. Okay. Great notes. I'm taking vigorous notes. This is excellent, <laughs> excellent information. I, it, Hopefully they're right. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, I, I think, you know, one of the things that I, you know, you, you're, uh, you're familiar obviously with your, uh, your guy slim who does the pace thesis for the Derby over here. That's like oh, yeah. my, oh, my that's like my all time. That's like my all time favorite piece of, uh, internet content. <laughs> The that, pace uh, comes in. I absolutely love that thing. Uh, and, uh, that's kind of, you know, it's probably taught, taught me the right, a, or a different framework for even thinking about how a race is going to be run. Um, so it's good to know any, any, um, any closers or, uh, or horses that, uh, you know, that have rated uh, that are, that, that can hang and, and make a late charge here in this well, race one. I love that you brought up uh, Slim's pace thesis. One of the, the things that he found year over year is that you're looking for horses that stalk. Those are the sure. ones that are, that are most effective at this distance at this age. Um, and the four horse Governor Morris is one of those that is going to do exactly that. This was Todd Pletcher's most hyped two-year-old at Saratoga. This was supposed to be the best horse in his barn. And the horse uh, wins just for fun. It breaks its maiden at a $90,000 maiden special weight level at Saratoga, which is the most competitive two-year-old race in the country and, and just literally airs them, wins by a nine lengths. Comes back in the, the grade one British futurity at Keeneland and just doesn't run well just for whatever reason, doesn't run a big race. Comes back at Tampa, first starts a three-year-old, runs well. But Pletcher's known for setting horses up third off a layoff. He's known for making horses great the first Saturday in May. And that's the exact setup we're getting here with Governor Morris today, who's shown the, the ability to sit in third or fourth place and then fire, get first run, and be able to finish the job. And actually ran a pretty good race last time out. It's, it's a sneaky good race because Tis the Law is the best three-year-old in the country right now. And that's mm-hmm. the horse that won that race. So this horse ran fourth behind that horse, but was able to range up and look like he was going to be a threat. This horse wasn't ready for a mile and eight last time out. We're getting the second time doing a mile and eight this time. So we're going to be able to have a, a little more fit horse. And, and again, I said, Pletcher, best three, set third off a layoff. That's what we're getting today. So we're going to get Governor Morris's absolute best effort coming into this field. He'll, yes. need to, he'll need to do it to be able to beat Charlatan. But this is a horse that logically will fit, especially if Charlatan takes pace pressure and it's a little weakened down the lane. Mm. 
one week ago we were talking horse racing and we were talking about how pleasure was having an underwhelming 2020 and then he ripped off like a nasty <laughs> stretch, nasty stretch so he was due uh and yeah his horses may be coming into form i love that it's amazing how barns get hot. It's one of the best things to look for is what barns are absolutely firing, which ones are struggling. And you'll see barns just get an absolute fire and then they won't win a race for three weeks. And it mm. just goes in cycles like anything else. So uh, when you notice that, it just when a barn's running, you got you to gotta take a look at it and kind of upgrade some of their horses. Mm. So one of the other uh, key questions I have about this race, Flavian Pratt, he's been off. He hasn't run in 40 days. He's the, he's the jockey on uh, Wrecking Crew. Do you factor that into his races this weekend, just coming back as a jockey and having, you know, you know, not really just being in shape to be doing this? I, that's an interesting question. I would lean toward no. I okay. would, you know, they, you have different ways to stay in shape. There actually are machines that help simulate riding a horse and then pumping a horse. Hmm. Um, Flavian Pratt's one of the best in the world. He's just, yeah, it's, okay, that sounds great, huh? Uh, so Flavian Pratt's probably one of the best in the world. Yeah, you know, that's a, send you a video um, he's one of the best in the world and he knows what he's doing and he, so my bigger concern would actually be over oakland's track than it would be coming back um ah, okay. so different tracks are, are different sizes belmont's a mile and a half around you know churchill's a, a little about i think it's like mile and 316 so there's different sizes for each track when you're going around the track and those dimensions change how you want to ride how tight are the turns like saratoga's turns are notoriously tight well belmont's are sweeping you have to ride those two very differently you've got longer stretches at fairgrounds than you do at, at Gulfstream Park. So you have to ride that differently and, and ask the horse at a different time. There's a little bit of a learning curve there. Now, um, Pratt hasn't ridden at Oakland yet this meet. He, he has ridden a couple of times there in the past, so he should know the track generally well. But I've seen top jockeys struggle at tracks that they're coming into for sure. three days because they're just not, they don't know the bias of the last week. They don't understand what, what lanes are playing best because you'll have, you know, one of the things you got to do when you're watching horse racing, watch every race and look for patterns. Now, last week I, uh, I, I did very well because I noticed the closers were starting to win. So I started fading speed. I didn't want the horses that were on the lead. I wanted horses that were coming from three or four lengths back that were making moves on the turn. And that was, that was this running style that was consistently winning. It was because the outside of the track was uh, not as deep as the inside of the track. So horses on the inside of the track were getting more tired and slowing down. And that's naturally where you are. If you're on the lead, you're going to be on the inside. So the outside horses, the closers were just running right on by. And so it's things like that you need to look for as the day goes on. I love that, this. Um, that might be that might be just good advice overall with the jockey thing, as you're <laughs> kind of running into it. Like, oh, well, just with this weird year, it's funny. Somebody hit me up in the DMs and said he was watching. I think Will Rogers, and they just mentioned one of the names of the jockeys, and it it uh, hit him like lightning. He's like, "Well, that's a Canterbury jockey." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, "Well, shit, yeah, that guy. Every race, all as long as I've ever been there." I mean, it's, that might be something worth looking at if you, like, I don't know the difference, like what you said, sweeping turns, tight turns. But if, if you could get some information on that and start looking at which tracks are where as these jockeys start to move around with some of this uh, wildness as far as all the tracks being shut down, that might be a really nice handicapping angle. Yeah, what? I mean, usually usually this race is in the middle of April and and Pratt's running uh, at Santa Anita. So I, I, I would... I was inclined to throw him out on the basis of I, I just wanted him to prove that he's in good enough shape to be winning these top races. But even beyond that, like, yeah, the you know, unfamiliarity with the uh, uh, the nuances of the uh, track is another good reason for me to try to toss some proud horses. You can, you can chuck Wrecking Crew because he's not very good, too, if you want to. That's a fine reason. <laughs> 
I like it. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's funny. We were talking about this in the Magic Mike show. The, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile is the most prestigious three, two-year-old race every year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been 17 horses that have run back since the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Only two of them have won. And there have been uh, five horses that have gone off as a post-time favorite. Wrecking Crew was in that race. He hasn't won since. The winners of the the two are, are a horse from Japan who won in Dubai and uh, a horse that um, that ended up winning the Springboard Mile. Uh, I'll think of his name eventually. He won the Springboard Mile at, at uh, Remington Park, and that race has come back soft. So the, that one of the best races for two-year-olds that everyone bets, all the horses coming out of it have struggled since then in the last six months. And Wrecking Crew has finished third in that race to storm the court. And uh, Anu Dor, who's the eighth horse in this race, ran second in that race. So for me, I, I've been chucking these horses all year. They're two logical chucks that probably will take money because they were in the Breeders' Cup. Was, was it shoplifted? <laughs> shoplifted, yeah. There yeah, you go. if I remember correctly. Yep. <laughs> Excellent Google skills. Yes. Storm of the Court's running in the later race. Let's let's flip flop to that one. The uh, Division Two, from just from a cursory point of view, and obviously, like, am I biased by looking at the money at the uh, morning line? Yes, obviously. Am I biased by kind of just the general, um, you know, the general love that exists in the horse racing space for Charlatan? Uh, absolutely. Uh, am I biased by seeing the doll? Knows out a horse that was not nearly in his class, in my opinion, uh, in the Rebel Stakes, which was a shorter race. Yeah, absolutely. But to me, this seems like the um, another logical uh, fade the favorite here. Um, is how do you, how do you set up this uh, race, and do you think um, that we see two very different styles of race overall? So I, I think this is another situation where you just have a ton of speed signed up, and, and that okay. is not going to play to Nadal's strengths. I mean, Nadal wants the lead. He, he showed that last time, and he he ran a one of the more impressive races I've ever seen from a three-year-old last time out. The, the buyer came back 96, which isn't exceptional, but he set the opening quarter. In general horse racing terms, you should run a furlong in 12 seconds. So miles a, a buck 36. Opening quarter, 24 seconds is a, a, a reasonable time. Good horses in these races will run it in 23 and change. He went 22 and four, so 22.8 seconds, which is a very fast opening quarter. Ran the opening half in 46 seconds. That's very fast for a, for a mile and 16th. He set those fractions and took took pressure the whole time. So so if you look at the form, there was someone within ahead of him the entire race, which means that there was someone just breathing down his neck, pushing him the entire time. He never got comfortable. And then he was able to hold off a horse charging late. Now, that horse was 50 to 1 and not very good. If that horse is a better horse, you're in trouble. But it was still a wonderful effort to be able to, to take pressure early, set the early fractions, kick clear, and finish the job, right? That was also over a sloppy track, though. And this horse's father is a horse named Blaine who is a very good sire of horses over sloppy tracks. Mm-hmm. So he may have also been upgraded a little bit there because he does have such a, a good pedigree to run over the mud. So it's one of those situations where the, now we're going to face better early pressure from horses like Storm the Court and King Guillermo who are right to his inside. So he's not inside speed, which is also a big advantage. You want to be inside speed because then you're on the inside of the turn. You have the, the shortest distance to the finish line, right? So this horse is going to be outside speed versus inside speed last time. And he's going to face better horses who are charging at him late. To me, again, it sets up for something where, yeah, it's the most likely winner. But no, I'm not looking to eat chalk here. I'm going to defensively use, I may not use uh, Nadal at all. I'll defensively use Charlton because Charlton might just be that good. But uh, um, I'll quickly explain defensively use. So um, with favorites, I'll either play them. I will chuck them, which means not use them at all. Or defensively use, which means that they're going to be the last horse on a ticket because I don't want that horse to knock the rest of my ticket out because I have strong enough opinions in other places. Um, okay. In this case, I think Charlatan's a defensive use, and I, I think that you can't let him knock you out because he could be a freak. I think the doll is, is bordering line, more of the Chuck side than the defensive use to me. 
fantastic. The, the um, one that stuck out here as I was just looking, if you want to talk about, is that King Guillermo. Because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at morning yeah. stuff. It's a three to one horse. Who was a hundred dollar horse? What <laughs> uh, six weeks ago at the Tampa Bay Derby? Yeah, at least yeah, it was like a fifty to one shot. Like what? What? I mean, just talk about his. It's a him, right? Yeah, we got <laughs> that up a lot in the last one. We we kept calling these. Uh, we kept calling everyone's him, and it's him. a lot of yeah. Phillies. But yeah, yeah, I mean, talk about. Uh, I mean, it looks like just four starts, but yeah, incredible time for him. Talk about his career. Yeah. So, uh, son of Uncle Mo, very good horse, was touted before that race. That's the one thing. So, I, one of the things I love to say, man, I was sitting at craft table at 2 a.m. in Vegas and I was hammered. And, uh, you know, my buddy was always, uh, you know, the six would roll and then he'd bet the six right after. Sure. And the dealer just stopped <laughs> taking his money. And he's like, no, I want to bet the six. He goes, let me teach you, son. Don't go to the funeral if you miss the wedding. And this is one of those situations where the wedding was winning at 50 to 1. The funeral was better than a three to one. I mean, this is, it's just one of those spots where you you miss the wedding, you miss the chance to really make money off him. Now, should he be three to one? Maybe. I mean, it's he's a legitimate horse, a sire. Like, like I said, Uncle Mo was a very good sire. Um, he, he should handle the distance very well. The last race was was ultra impressive. I mean, it's it's not like he ran a bad race. He didn't look like a fifty to one shot at all. But you're not going to get what you should off that race either. The value isn't there anymore because he ran that race. This horse should be close to 10 to one in this spot, not three to one. And and that's the key is that, that people are going to look at the last race. And this is, you know, every now and then I'll answer questions on Twitter and we'll have like a, essentially a Q&A. And one person said, what's the what's the most important thing about finding a long shot? I said, just, you know, don't look at the last race. The last race is where the mass majority of the people look. The key thing is looking at the body of the work. And so you have to be able to look past that, just that last race. And people can look at that last race and say, yeah, it should be three to one. A lot of things went right. And that wasn't mm. the best field in the world. And, and so he's taking a step up in class. He's going to have to prove that he can do it again. Are we sure that he's not going to bounce off that effort? That was a career best effort. There's enough mm. questions there that I'm not willing to take three to one on him. If he was 10 to one, I'd be interested, but I'm, I'm not willing to swallow three to one in this spot. Mm. He crushed hoping, that. I was hoping you'd say that. Like, <laughs> it, it just, you know, you look at that, it did, it felt like, uh, is this, it's a trap. Is this, yeah, yeah is it a bear to, to make a horse? It's two, two wins out of four races. One really nice win as a long shot, and then all of a sudden three to one in a field of ten. Yeah. Well, and his best buyer on dirt before that was a fifty-one. The yeah. two previous races were on the turf, so they the trainers ran him once on the dirt and then said, "Now nah, he's probably a better turf horse." Ran him twice on the turf and pops <laughs> that back on the dirt. Yeah. It's like where'd that come from? Why why wasn't he on the dirt the whole time if he was this? Mm. There's enough questions there that just make you not. Uh, he can beat me. He can go ahead and beat me. I'm fine with that. Mm. Speaking of speed, uh, is Early speed, Wells Bayou, out of the 11-hole. This one's going to be interesting. you got Wells Bayou who's going to want to fire up there. You've got King Guillermo who's going to be right, want to be right on the lead. You've got Nadal who's going to be right there, storm the court. All of them have over 110 time form U.S. early speed buyers, and all of them want the lead. So the, this one is this race especially sets up for what I call a meltdown, where you just have stumble bunnies coming home on the front end, <laughs> and someone's going to run right on by because everyone else is tired. So Sounds this like race Farmington is, Road. <laughs> well, that's Yeah, Farmington Road made it made it awfully interesting last time you're over this track, and, and he's one of those that's going to be coming from way off the pace, but it's going to get that pace to run into. And if you know, like I said, these horses haven't gone a mile and eighth. Not many of them. They're going to be sucking some wind in that last furlong. And if if someone's charging late and has momentum and, and gets excited and they know they. If you have a leader who's sucking wind and you have a horse who's three lengths back charging and knows what he's trying to catch, 
The one with adrenaline is the one that's coming, not the one that's trying to hold off the one that's coming. So it, it, it sets up an interesting situation where the, you could see a closer win this race if the pace collapses. Ooh, dude, I'm, all, all, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty close to all in on team pleasure this weekend, and I'm pretty close to uh, – yeah, that's, that's my favorite look in the later race, Farmington Road coming, from, maybe coming talk, off the pace. Talk me out of, uh, of Taishan. <laughs> Stalker, <laughs> it's run a mile and an eighth. Can I talk you into Taishan? <laughs> 15 to 1? Hit the lead last time, top of the stretch, and just faded. And that race, talk about pace meltdown. 45 seconds for a first first half. When I, I mentioned 12 seconds, they should be running that in 48. They're flying up front. That, that's that's way too fast. So he then hit the lead, and then he just hit a wall right after that. So he, he got caught by a couple horses. Um, but... That effort was a very nice effort. He's got early speed. He started out his career as a sprinting. Baltus is one of the top trainers. You're getting Cohen, who's one of the top jocks here. And everything lines up for this horse to be able to run a big effort off of that. A little bit concerned that he might have used too much there. Um, but I, I do think that, that that effort two back is legit. And, and something like the two back or even an improvement of the Southwest race could put him right into the right picture. And the pace setup will set up well for him, as well as the, the one right on his outside, Farmington Road. Mm. Um, question about the second race here. The any concern or worry about jockeys who didn't run the first? Like, is there a tactical disadvantage if you're a jockey and you didn't get just get a feel for uh, what the best horses in the world are doing on this track at this moment? Shouldn't be an issue considering we'll be a, a couple days into the weekend. Um, okay. Most of these jockeys will probably race on Thursday. Um, I would say all of them will race on Saturday at least once or twice before. So it's Thursday. Tomorrow is the first day that we're going to run at Oakland this weekend. Then you'll have Friday. Uh, and then Saturday. And so you're going to get, I mean, by the time they run this race for the 13th on this card, this is going to be the 23rd race run over the weekend. Most of the jockeys will have at least one under their belt. And if not, you hope that they at least watch the other 22. to sure. get a good understanding yeah. of what's going on in the track. Um, we also have pretty consistent weather this weekend. There's only a 10% chance of precipitation on Friday and Saturday. It should be in the, the mid-70s to low 80s every single day. So we should get a pretty consistent track throughout this entire process. So I, And when the rains come, that makes a big difference because, you know, if, if it, the skies open up and you got puddles on the track. It's going to play different than it did the race before. But in this case, it seems like we're going to have a pretty consistent surface over the entire three days. I like it. Um, any, uh, any thoughts on Asmussen bringing four horses to this? To this like, what's his, what's his plan? What's going on with him? Uh, well, he's throwing darts, man. What else would you do, right? Throwing, um, he's throwing darts. That, that's kind of what I thought. I was just curious. Yeah, you said they get split, but the guy's got all these horses. Like, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a quality problem, though, right? I mean, you got more shots than yeah, that, right? Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, though. You know, one of my angles, if you have two trainers with two horses in a race and they scratch one out, the other one's going to run. It's, it's Yeah, the, right. The For sure. Classic, you know, why run two and one will do, right? Um when they have a bunch in, you kind of wonder, but in these prep races, when you're going after hundred points, the ownership groups will often say, no, run them. I don't care if you have other horses in there. I want to try and get the points to get in the derby gate. So it's not as uh, concerning in this spot as you would see in some others. And I okay. do think the seven silver prospector has a shot in the second division. I mean, you go back to his Southwest where he won the race going a 97 buyer coming from just off the pace. And then the race before the last race was over a sloppy track and the two before it were over a sloppy track. And if you go back before that, he runs a 91 breaking his maiden. This horse okay. wants fast dirt, not off track. And we're going to get fast dirt on Saturday. So it could set up well for, for Silver Prospect to run a big race for Asmussen. Okay. So you're okay throwing out the Rebel Stakes underwhelming 
run. You're, that's that's not no problem. Okay, I like this. Okay. Yeah, to me, the, the one of the big keys at Oakland is is sloppy or fast. You have a lot of horses who do very well who get upgraded on a sloppy track and get or get upgraded on a fast track. Um, and, and with Oakland, you have rain so often you don't have any turf course, so you're always running on the dirt, and it's always going to be either sloppy or fast. And you see some horses just excel over that track on one condition or another. So I will always look for okay, you know, the most common reason to draw a line through a race is because of the the condition of the track. And so if if a horse sucks running over the mud, you can just draw a line through all their mud races. And that's a great example for Silver Prospector, who's done that three of the last four times. And his fast track races are clearly his best on his career. Mm. Is there any other information that you're going to get from, you know, people at the track, from, you know, reports from, uh, you know, just from the general information space that's good, that would change your opinion of these two over the weekend? Probably not. Um, I'm going to, I usually handicap a card four times, three times before I actually get to what I want to be at, because i I'll, I will usually do it at least twice, at least on different days, um, because I want to be in separate mind spaces and I usually handicap back to front. So I'll handicap, I handicap this the first time 14 to one. And the next time I go through it, I'll go one to 14. Um, so that I have, it's because you're going to be sharper at the start than you will at the end. I want to make sure that I, I come up with whatever opinion. And then when I'm forming the tickets is when I'll actually dial in each race and decide who I'm going to end up playing. Um, I try to ignore as much of the white noise as possible. I, I think the trainers, especially and owners, uh, you can't really uh, trust them. Okay. Because I would well, you know, coach like, speak, but at the track, right? Exactly. Like, you know, if, if we're in the NFL draft, the Dolphins aren't going to be like, "Yeah, we're, we're not going to trade up and we're taking two at five. They're not going to say that out loud. I wish they had, thing. but that's <laughs> fine. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> the odds would have sucked. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, it, it's one of those situations where I, I only trust about ten percent of the stuff that comes out of their mouth, and, and you have to try and essentially read them to understand when they are trying to tell the truth and when they aren't. And as an owner, and I've owned parts of horses, you always think they're going to win. You wouldn't enter them if you didn't think they were going to win or didn't have a chance. So you see these guys in interviews. Yeah, we got a shot today. It's like you have no clue if you have a shot today. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's preseason NFL. Yep. Except you're talking about your horse. Is the best shape of your life. <laughs> really looking good. Going to be a great season. Uh, <laughs> God willing, the creek don't rise. It's it's like the owner telling you that the season's going to be awesome, and they're like, you're not even on the field. You're not out there training camp. You have no clue what's going on. Mm. Do you have any? You got to talk to the stable boys. Yeah. Uh, is that is that an edge? Uh, if you have the insight, that'd probably be better information than talking to the owner or the trainer. Yeah. Okay. You just need to know the right guy. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any other thoughts on these uh, the eleven or the thirteen race here? Uh, as far as horses, you know, any strong opinions on horses to toss, horses to put in uh, at the bottom of tickets? Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm probably going to use fast enough the eight horse at the bottom of some tickets um, in the second leg. I'm gonna... Oh, he might have been scratched too. Hang on, oh, I think I just man. said that too. <laughs> I know a lot of news today. I know it's uh, weird because there was so many horses. They split it up into two races. We're going to end up with like two eight horse races or something crazy. Anyway, in, in the second leg, I'm going to in general chuck all of the speed. So Storm the Court, okay. King Guillermo, Nadal, and Wells Bayou. I think you're all going to have a very very tough time beating each other. Um, one of them may stick around, but more than one would be awfully unlikely. And the most likely one is going to be, um, going to be Nadal. But I, I, I think it really depends on his pace sets up, but I think they're going to be flying up front. And if that does happen, I mean, if you look at, uh, if you look at the rebel, the horses that were first and second ended up finishing last and second to last and everyone coming from off the pace were the horses that won. And so for me, that's really what I'm going to be focusing on in the second leg is, is, is fading the speed, playing the horses that can come from off the pace, especially since you're getting prices on them. I and mean, this is a great shot. Throw a throw a dollar super together with four horses that are prices, you know, like the Silver Prospector, Tayshawn, Farmington Road, and um, let's say Fennec the Fierce, who are all going to come off the pace. If that super hits, 
<laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. anything else the rest of the day. Yep. You know, and you're just essentially well, yeah. playing a style or playing what, what you think is likely based on the pace setup. Yeah, fast enough, fast enough scratched in the second. So we're down, down, we're down to 10 in each field now. <laughs> yeah, we're down to 20. <laughs> yeah, we're down to 20 in a 10 horse race. Yeah. Let's, let's get these things off already. Let's get three more days of losing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, no, uh, nothing to say in terms of advantage or disadvantage from close positions or, you know, or travel or anything like that. Uh, that's, that's got you especially fired up or fearing any of these horses. Not over a mile and eight distance. I don't love the one hole in any case uh, when you have speed horses. So, so Charlatan is it's not a great draw for him because really, if there's any trouble, someone clears over on him, he's not getting the lead. So that that puts you in a bad position if you're not able to break. Uh, mile and eighth is a good distance from this perspective because you have a longer run up into the first turn. So there's more time for horses to find their position. So so the gate position is not as important as it is in other scenarios. Um, but you know. Inside and outside, if your speed are not a great place to be, because you're either having to clear everybody or you're having to make sure you 100% break, or else you're not going to be able to get to that lead. And that that affects Wells Bayou in the second leg. That affects uh, Charlatan, and it is, affects um, uh, Basin in the first leg. I like it. Um, let's talk about the middle of the sandwich. Let's talk about the sandwich, well, the meat in the sandwich. Uh, boy, I recognize some of these names. <laughs> from this time last year this is a fun one <laughs> this is uh there's some there's some derby vets in this field uh always fun and that's that's usually pretty common derby weekend too right like some of the undercard races usually have derby vets coming around four-year-olds whatnot um there's a couple of them in here right this is a this overall this looks like this could be just as good if not you know as a more entertaining race than the uh than the two arkansas derbies am i crazy no, not at all, man. You have field of fourteen, and your your morning line favorite is is four to one here. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's an awesome price on the morning line favorite, and with this size of field, it, it means that you have a lot of different directions that you can go, and you're going to get value no matter where you go, which is nice as well. And it also means the exotics are going to pay huge. So the exactas and the trifectas and the superfectas are going to pay big, because a lot of times you'll see, you know, the race right before we have Charlatan, everyone will put Charlatan up top. And then put horses underneath it. It's a lot harder to come up with a single horse to put on top in this spot. You've got a, a wide open field, and it's one of my favorite style of races because you have older horses facing four year olds. You have logical improvement forces playing horses that you kind of know what they are, but will they? You know, can the can the horse improve and get there? And so, it's an interesting uh, interesting race to play in a lot of different angles. You can go. Did they put this uh, this race in between the two the two divisions to keep people from just daily do- you know doubling down on uh, on the Baffert horses? <laughs> I would I mean, be like, shocked if that was part of the, the reason that they did it. I mean, you definitely see some creative uh, scheduling for the races based on the betting sequences that they offer. And, and sure. having that Baffert daily double would have paid nothing. And putting this race in between, <laughs> it means the pick three. I mean, you can go Baffert yeah. all Baffert, and this you could still make some money because of, of what what result you can get here in the middle leg. Pretty cool. Um, the Except that Nadal's not going to win. So anyway, uh, no, that's just kidding. <laughs> true. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I hope you're um, right, man. I hope, I hope Baffert goes over two. I, I I usually never fade in a dawn May, but uh, this is this is going to be the one <laughs> the one except yeah, yeah the one exception. Um, right up there with your mother mother. Are <laughs> running over clay a little bit here, so <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 anyway, the uh, uh, the Oakland handicap looks freaking stacked. Uh, Bravazo, uh, Tax, Tacitus, uh, they all ran in the Derby last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, is it Tassos or Tassos? They, they pronounce it stupid. Tassos, it's Tassos. It is Tassos. It. Yeah, I'm impressed. Um, Tax. But uh, <laughs> a couple, couple people uh, who uh, who I appreciate their opinions have been buzzing about Mr. Freeze. Is he overrated, underrated, or properly rated? 
I'm going to go overrated. Um, okay. He ran a huge race last time out of Gulfstream, going a mile. Ran a 107 by our career best. We're going a mile and eighth today. Mr. Freeze going a mile and eighth is, uh, for lack of a better term, ice cold. Uh, he's uh, he's won <laughs> once in five starts. He's got two seconds and a third, so he's run well. But he, he struggles to get into the wire. And if you look at those the three races prior to this, he ran second, third, and second. And each time he faded down the lane. He was getting, he was, the winner was either extending on him or someone was passing him. So this mile and eight distance to me is one of those concerns. I'm also not a huge Dale Romans fan, who's a trainer here. Um, and Talmo's never ridden this horse. So that's a little bit of a question mark to me. And the horses that he's beaten haven't been wonderful either. I mean, you're seeing Mucho Gusto in there. We lost two, two back. Tom Zatat's a very good horse, but he got beat by him. Uh, beating Fat Man and Hogcrete Hustle, uh, not exactly world beaters uh, going a mile. So just the fields that he beat last time out isn't great. Uh, trainer's not wonderful, and the mile and eighth isn't, isn't for him. So I'm going to try and play against him. I actually like the six-horse Warriors charge a lot here. This is one of those horses where um, I, I love horses. Who, so horses aren't fully developed until early in their five-year-old season. So sure. horses generally develop more and more after their three-year-old season. We don't necessarily see it from some of the best horses because they go off to stud after the three-year-old season because they're worth so much money. Warriors charge here is the second start as a four-year-old. So that's one of the most logical improvements because the three to four is one of the best physical jumps from a horse perspective. So the horse is going to be stronger than he was as a three-year-old and now getting the second start off a layoff should have more stamina. He's also your fastest horse and should be able to make the lead here going a mile and eighth. And Brad Cox is one of the best best trainers in the game. Uh, Florence Giroux is one of the best jockeys. They team up for 27% winning percentage, one of every four times they're winning the race when when Florence up for, for Cox. So uh, I'll, I'll take this 8-1 to one on Warriors charge and hope he, he can wire the field. I like it. Um, the sixth hole looks good for this race. Am I crazy? No, it's a good spot for him. I mean, he's he's not – you've got Mr. Freeze at the inside, but I have a feeling that, that we're going to see uh, we see him make it to the turn first, so you're not worried about anyone being inside of him from a speed perspective. And there's no one outside that really is going to necessarily gun it out there. I mean, there are other horses that like to stalk, but no one who absolutely needs the lead. And so, you know, horses like By My Standards and Improbable and Tacitus all want to be a couple lengths back, but none of them want the lead. And what can often happen is you have four horses just build up behind – your, your speed horse in front, and he's able to just walk the dog and have all the energy left coming around that last turn and be able to spurt free and no one can catch him. All the, like all the little uh, the little horse sayings are killing me today. I like that walk the dog. What about, what about the Baffert horse way on the outside there? Is that just too much? I, I would say he's improbable to win. <laughs> oh, 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 uh, he's a head case, man. That horse, he, he is uh, oh, what they call improbable. studdish. Um, he doesn't like to load into the gate. He doesn't break well sometimes. He hates crowds, gets afraid of them, which you would think this is the perfect scenario for him. Last in, no crowd, everything. But that was the exact same thing as last time, and this wasn't good enough. Um, City Zip is his sire. Uh, City Zip's not a great mile and an eighth sire. Usually the horses are better on turf, going short, or sprinting. Um, and so this is really pushing his distance limitations as well. He's run here, run this distance twice. He's never won, run second once. Um, and, and that one second was – and he ran at a mile and an eighth uh, at parks, which is a weaker grade one. And we end up running fourth to a horse named Masslers, who just wasn't that great. So he's been beat pretty bad at the mile and eight distance. He's coming off a mile race where you know, he ran well, but he just, he hasn't panned out to what he was supposed to be. I mean, this was supposed to be one of Baffert's best three-year-olds and you know, he just couldn't quite get the distance. And now he's just, he kind of is what he is. And this is a, uh, this is a spot where it's going to be awfully tough for him to win from that post. Was he long shots? What about the other cock source? Night ops. Good jockey, good, good trainer. Jockey. Yeah, and, and he'll be coming from off the pace. Um, he, he's, uh, by Warrior's Reward, is a Magla Oro son. Uh, the distance shouldn't be that big of an issue for him. 
he really needs the pace to set up for him well. My biggest concern is his two best races, this last one and the one three back, were both in the mud. Um, and so he's he's run the mud four times, one twice, one second, one third. So he likes the off track, which he's not going to get in this case. Um, so I think that could be a struggle for him. I do like the horse right to his inside by my standards at nine to two with Gabriel Saez up. Horse uh, won the New Orleans class last time out. He should be able to take a step forward. That one's at a mile and eighth. He's two for two at the distance. Um, and, and he is now third off a layoff here, third in his four-year-old career. So that's other logical improvement angles that you could see that horse take another step forward. God, I'm just unprepared for this. There's so much. <laughs> <laughs> is it, is there a Friday stakes race as well then? Well, yeah, that's why I was going to go. As, that's exactly where I was going to go next. Yeah. So usually we get uh, the amazing – uh, Kentucky Oaks on Friday before the Derby mm-hmm. on Saturday. One of the, my favorite races of all time. Absolutely pleasure to piss away a Friday in May watching uh, watching racing. Um, oh, it's the greatest. Uh, <laughs> what's uh, it, are, is this the same sort of setup where we are seeing some of uh, the horse, you know, some of the fillies, three year old fillies that would have competed in the Oaks are going to be in the fantasy on Friday. Yeah, for sure. There's nowhere else you can run for 400 grand if you're a three-year-old filly. So the <laughs> best ones in the world are showing up. Uh, and, and that's the case. With we got the A-team. Yeah, right? Yeah, why not? That's why you're getting these great full fields too, man. Uh, a two-horse Venetian Harbor uh, is one of those horses that's coming in it's for the Baltus Barn. Probably the best three-year-old filly in the country right now. Uh, she's absolutely stomped her competition at Santa Anita. She's another one of those, though, that you have a little, couple questions. I mean, she's never gone to Malin 16th. Um, she, she's never really been tested except for her first start where she was sprinting on the turf um, and she went down there. So there are different angles that you could play against her, but she is clearly the best horse in this field and she's, she's going to be tough to beat in this spot. Mm. She's carrying a heavy, heavy ass jockey though, who hasn't run in a while. I'm just saying. <laughs> are they going to offer that bet? They should, they need to give me that bet. We make that every year. We do the, the Oaks Derby double. Oh yeah. yeah, is there a fancy? Are they gonna have something like that for me? Well, it's weird. There's too a many damn races. There's too many races. <laughs> I don't think they can do it in Arkansas. Some jurisdictions are different. You can't offer oh. multi-day pools. I think Arkansas might be one of those states where you can't have a multi-day pool. And it, let's see here. Yeah, Dale Shaker, right? Fifty cent try, ten cent super. No, no Oaks, uh, Oaks, uh, Arkansas Derby doubles. Also, oh. which would you do might have to, double might have to run our own. Yeah, which one do you go? Yeah, do yeah, you so get your choice? Do you have to pick both? Yeah, you have to pick both. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. 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 Um, uh, I, I do like a couple prizes in here. Um, the yeah, four and the five. Yeah, Lake Avenue. Uh, these oh, are both winning horse. horses. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Tap it. He's uh, one of those sides. American Pharaoh. Whoa. Yeah, see, there's some. See? There's some interesting ones here. We got okay. some breeding going yeah. on here. Oh. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the, the both before and the five are by William or are trained by William Mott, who's one of the better trainers up in New York, and he's notoriously cautious with his horses. Sure. Um, and Harvey's little Goyle, uh, who's the five horse by American Pharaoh. <laughs> this is a really aggressive spot to bring this horse back. Um, and so you got to think the horse has got. This is where you're reading between the lines. And you're saying, wait a second, why why is Mott starting this horse here? Why aren't we starting in a, an allowance race? Why aren't we starting a lower level stakes race somewhere to build the confidence up? My guess is because he thinks this horse is going to fire. And uh, go. this horse ran huge last time going a mile and an eighth over at Aqueduct, winning by seven lengths. Uh, now we're going to see the, the first start in the three-year-old, full three-year-old campaign. That last race was as a three-year-old, but it was the end of the two-year-old campaign in all intents and purposes. The horse has been training well, ran a bullet workout last time, has every right to fire here. And right to the inside, Lake Avenue, um, that last race is sneaky good because the track was speed favoring. So the, the mm. horse, uh, sky, Swiss Skydiver, this is another great uh, funeral wedding example. The wedding is last race. <laughs> yeah. This is the funeral. <laughs> the perfect pace set up and everything's set up perfectly for it. And so they're take advantage of it. So yeah. the, 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 both the four and the five to me are logical prices here at, uh, at 15 to one and 12 to one. 
Oh, dude, this is so fantastic. I'm super excited. I, 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 every year I get excited for this this big weekend of horse racing. Carries through the summer. Uh, this year is no different. Um, we'll wrap it up here. I think we covered this absolutely as perfectly as possible. Uh, thank you for all your insights. Where can people track down your content again? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm on Twitter at Somobomb18, S-O-M-O-B-O-M-B-1-8. Uh, and you check it out. Check out RacingDudes.com. Uh, podcast I'm on is The Magic Mike Show. There's also Blinkers Off with Aaron and Jared. Uh, and then we have free picks every single day as well as premium picks uh, every single day, every single track. And then I cover the – I have a product called The Somobomb. So you can get all of my picks, pick threes, pick fours, and pick fives uh, every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for major tracks. All right, man. Hit the bomb this weekend. Let's you got it. it in you. I, I'm, I'm still fired up. This Full was faith. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. I wish you wouldn't even have talked about Friday. No one would be betting. God knows, uh, God knows you'll start tomorrow. Might yeah, we'll get a little I, action. I can pretty much tell you I'm getting no work work done tomorrow, as I will be <laughs> handicapping Friday's races and Saturday's races. So this is, uh, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks again for all your time. Thanks and, a lot uh, for best, your time. Uh, yeah, best of luck at the races this weekend. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. It was a blast.